Good evening and welcome back to another edition of Beyond the Backstage Pass. I'm your host, Vince Edwards from Sound Image Productions. You may also know me, see me, hear from me on Facebook, a couple closed Facebook groups I administer called Death by Loadout and another one called The Backstage Pass. This show is intended as a companion piece for those. Uh, groups, uh, a little something extra, a little something fun we get up to. I'm sitting here with my good, good friend and co-host, Mr. Kyle Thomas. How are you, Kyle Thomas? Not too bad, big dog. Man, it's always good to see you here. What yeah. have you been up to this week? Yeah, I've been busy, uh, just trucking along, trying to get this formulated into a podcast, which has been fun. We're stripping away the audio to a lot of the, uh, the shows and getting them in place to, to switch over to a different uh, look on the show. So. Well, we got a lot of content. Uh, we got, what is this, a 23rd episode? 23rd. 23rd episode. And uh, so that gives us 22 opportunities to strip away that, the audio. I know you had to do some tightening up and some cleaning over there on the, what are you using, uh, S3L? Yeah. Uh, yep. getting, it, getting it right, Pro Tools and all. Yeah, it took a minute. But it, yeah, I thought I, I thought I saw some some middle fingers going towards monitors. There might have been. <laughs> but I mean, it's on me, right? Like, I'm, I'm kind of stubborn. I haven't updated my Pro Tools in forever. Ever. I'm still on High Sierra. There's, there's all these things that's like, yeah, I've, I've kind of enjoyed not having to think about these things for a while. Usually, when you go for a company, you know these rigs are supplied. You don't bring your own stuff. So right. It's kind of cheating in my mind, but it's all worked now, and it's, it's on its way. What made you not use the? This is a question that just came to me. Not use the hundred and what is it, hundred and twenty-six input Pro Tool uh, DDI rig. Well, you know, it's in service for uh, people to train on, and you, as you know, you know everybody that comes in and out of our door to, for training. It's yes. like I would be heartfelt to to strip that away and put it into our other rig, especially if we have another option. So you have such uh, a big heart. You're, you're one of them big it's heart guys. It's just so big. You're just it's one so of the, the hearty guys. That's very kind of you. Yeah, we have had some weird ups and downs. I, just, I think I caught you frustrated on Monday because you came in. And, <laughs> oh, great. And we're going to discuss it, the frustrations of my life. Your show files because they're assholes. Uh, we learned. We learned. <laughs> dum Dum 1 to Dum Dum 2. I backed everything up this time. Yeah, you so. on your stick now? Yeah. You got it all. And now I just get the phone calls from other people like, what the fuck? What happened? Who did that? <laughs> <laughs> my shit. What the fuck were they thinking? Yeah, uh, it's always fun around here. You know, we, we try our best. But we got a lot of people coming in for training. The, the board's busy every day. We even have a tour coming through on Saturday from uh, from an East Coast A1. A um, that should be really interesting. And he's going to take a check around the building and uh, see what he's got going on. We've also got a new guy coming in for training. Cody, I forget his last name. Sorry, Cody. Uh, <laughs> but a guy coming in tomorrow to play with the board from 12 to 6, so oh, we'll see kid. how that goes. I think it might be one of the Southern California kids from our other shop. Uh, regardless, uh, we're always training. We're always keeping up. And come on up. Yeah, yeah. Come join the fun. That's, that's party central. Uh, not really, but you know what I mean. It's, it's meant for good times. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Not much. I, I really uh, enjoy the progress we've been having with... Uh, getting our, our live streaming services on its way. I think today is the, marks the first show we are streaming on Facebook, so thank you, Mikey. Oh, uh, oh, oh yeah, so, so right now we're not just on YouTube, we're live on Facebook, is that correct? Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Mikey. And, and he nailed it. I think it, it's like, it's such a cool way to get 
I'm, I'm going to monitor the comments on both sides, so if you guys feel free to chat it up in either instance. Is that what's happening in front of me? And, uh, yeah, can you one. see it? I know you're old. You can, yeah, can't really see. Yeah, it's too far away from me. I'm blind, and now I'm completely handicapped because I used to have that one cheated up to, you know, large See, uh, now, if font. somebody really liked the show, they would send Vinny a massive monitor that we could put <laughs> these comments on so his old to ass can see it. And screen over there. That's not the issue. It's, uh, it's embarrassing <laughs> is what the issue. <laughs> hey, listen, this is uh, going to happen to all you, so I don't want to hear a lot of enjoyment on this little Shaolin Freudian motherfuckers. Yeah, right. uh, excuse my language. Uh, yeah, I forget. We also need to start issuing a, a rating with this show, I think. Yeah, there's going to be some quarters. There needs to be yeah. a quarter jar. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what do we do? I'm going to put them into my own jar and then go, you know, to the arcade. <laughs> I'm going to be so damn rich. It'd be funny. Um, Laundry yeah. money for me, number one. Well, you know, that's. I, I hear there's a corn shortage in America, <laughs> which has got to be the biggest crock of shit of I all time. I experienced it. I think it's people just uh, are rightfully so concerned about touching coins, and they're turning that into. Uh, there's a coin shortage in America. Yeah, and it's not in rotation the same way. Yeah, it, something's it used going to on. Be. Who, who knows what it is? I've always just jammed mine into a jar and. Well, yeah, it was lovely at the at the height of that going to maybe the third bank in one afternoon because the the bank closest to my house was closed, yeah, you know, yeah, indefinitely. It, at didn't you say something about like needing to set up an appointment to get in or some shit? No, no, that was Mikey. Yeah, he's oh, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. That's we all have these weird things with our bank now, but it was like the third place I went to to get quarters for the day. You know, I let my laundry pile up to I just do it in mass quantity. Yeah, and it was like after the third place, like. Why are you surprised? Why are you so frustrated? It's like, I just want fucking quarters. It's like, no, there's a shortage. Here's 20 bucks worth. Like, Get see you tomorrow. I have $20. <laughs> like I said, come. I have the big uh, poker jar. It's really sizable. Uh, I'm going to start. You're going to get some, yeah. some bucks out and, of and me. And trade out, and we'll, we'll get, keep care of you. I haven't had many poker games since this whole thing started, uh, oddly. we got to do something about that. Hey, listen, yeah. if you're watching on YouTube, do us a favor. And if you like what you see, um, subscribe to the channel. It helps with the algorithms and the way uh, YouTube does its thing. Um, and otherwise, we got comments coming in. My, my boy here is going to handle that throughout the show. I want to jump forward and just get to the guests because we got an exciting one. This is a good friend, a, a sweetheart in the game. Um, it really is kind of a badass. He's a top rigger in industry. He's, uh, he's rigged some of the uh, world's biggest bands, some of the world's biggest tours. Uh, equally comfortable with Metallica, Janet Jackson, Aerosmith, or... Uh, really, I mean, it's, you gotta imagine, like a badass. He's uh, he's a loyal member of the IATSE. He's a big member of the Union family and a brother and a half. Uh, and and my idea of the best guy to get in here to talk about the the discipline in our industry of rigging. His name is Bob Powers, and he's right here tomorrow. How you doing, Bob Powers? Hey, Vince, it's so great. good to see you, brother. Great to be here. Thank you, Kyle. How you doing, brother? Excellent to see you, my friend. You as well. Thank it's you. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike, wherever you are in the darkness. Well, Thank you for doing the work you're doing, sir. You've got to give us the credit. We have made it so the lighting makes it so you can't see anything. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. About eight feet out, it's just black. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's perfect for me. Yeah. Um, of course, we asked the, the inevitable question, how have you been doing in a reference to this last six months in the COVID? How have you been keeping your head straight? How's things? Well, so thank you for asking. Mm -hmm. um, I will preface that question uh, with under the circumstances and bookend it with all things considered. Yeah. Um, I, I really am. I am very grateful. Um, I feel very fortunate. Um, and I want to be deliberate about using that word. Not lucky, not blessed, fortunate. Sure. And uh, uh, I have my complaints and my grumbles, like I think all of us do. Um, 
but they pale in comparison to what a lot of people are going through right now and what they could be, so. Well said, well said. I, I think we like to cite the, you know, big on statistics here, and I know you as a rigor got, got math skills. We like to point out that we probably, in the 7 billion people in the world, maybe 6.9 billion of them wish they had our problems. Yeah. So we're, we're lucky in the unlucky, and I'm happy to be who we are. So I'm glad you're, you're handling well, and I know you're doing things to, to, that we'll get into in the interview of, that are helping others keep their heads square, and that's a very sweet thing. We'll, let's talk more about that in a minute. Um, I know that one thing, I, I want to ask you how you chose a career in, as rigor because it's such a specific career. It's not for everybody. You kind of have to have a special set of uh, um, fortitudes to, <laughs> to, to be a rigor. You can say it. It's yeah. cojones. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What, if, do, you have a, do you have an elevator speech on how you decided to oh. become a rigor? Brother, I can give you the 30 second or the three minute or the what, 30 the, minute. You give me the one that makes you happy and tells the story. Um, to, to compress it as best as possible. After being a stagehand for an introductory period of time, I became aware of this specific discipline in the stagecraft umbrella of rigging. And I became aware of it by tools falling around me and raining down around me. <laughs> and I, I looked up and I said to myself, I don't know what that job is, but it can certainly be being done better than that. Yeah. And if they're not capable of doing it, I will. Yes. And uh, that I will, that's my dad. Um, so, uh, but in a very polite way, I went and sought out the people who did do that mm -hmm. and could show me what that job was. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd like to acknowledge a couple people in that regard. Well, and that's the question I got for you. Uh, I know that uh, mentors are important to you. Yes. Talk about them. Well, for example, uh, a gentleman named uh, Eric Simnocker was the first person I met in the Bay Area that gave me the answer to what that job is and how to do it safely. And Eric um, went out of his way to uh, extend a hand of brotherhood and friendship and to bring me into this specific discipline, the first person of many, many, many. Um, and so, um, he did. He showed me how to do this job safely and correctly. And shared that same principle that it needs to be done that way or not at all. And so um, to answer your question, what got me into rigging was seeing the need that it needed to happen and that it needed to happen safely. That's a very good answer. I'm curious. Now, if you could, if you could explain this, we have a lot of different people watching us from many different disciplines, squints and wardrobe people and uh, everybody really. Uh, imagine that, uh, you got the dumbest guy in the room. How would you explain what the rigging department does in All a right. nutshell? So uh, one of the best answers I've heard uh, from this was another gentleman who I absolutely owe my rigging career to named Rocky Paulson. And he boiled it down to uh, a rigger hangs hundreds of thousands of pounds over millions of dollars of talent. That sums it up pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. And the best ones do it safely night after night. <laughs> Has to. Yeah. Has to. Yeah. 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 No, you, we, uh, we couldn't do it without you. Uh, as simple as that. And there's nothing like having the solid A team out there to, to instill confidence in all of the, dis the disciplines when you're in a, a big place. Like I know you're the head rigger, the lead rigger over at Chase, which is a, a new shop in our town. New, the new big, I guess, do the Warriors play there? 
They still do. Yeah, the yeah. Cal State Warriors play there. Uh, what's it like um, being the, the head guy over at the Chase? Oh, all right. So now we're going to the absolute. I love this uh, because. Oh, I'm going to jump around. Oh, yeah. yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is this is where I feel like I'm at now. And I'll preface this with when the Chase Center is open yes, and, and gigging. Um, now, what I, I'm, I am trying to master and perfect what I call executive rigging. See, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, and for that skill set, I have to thank a gentleman named Ed Kish, who is the uh, rigging vendor of record that designed the rigging grid at the Chase Center. I was very fortunate to be brought along in the last year to offer my two cents worth, but the rigging grid and design and all the safety features, the load capacities, the all the skeleton and the characteristics of the Chase Center, which is state-of-the-art rigging-wise, are absolutely uh, Ed Kish's design, and uh, it has been an, a, a dream to get to, he, he calls it the brain dump. Mm. I think we've done 200 hours worth of phone calls, texts, emails, and then drawings, CAD drawings back and forth exchanged, sure. and uh, half dozen inter in, in person visits, him coming to the arena, me going down to his shop in LA. Uh, this is all leading up to in the opening of the Chase Center. Um, so, what to answer your question, what is it like being the head rigger at the Chase Center? First of all, it's uh, absolutely, um, I serve at the leisure of my local. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, what I love about our, our world is that um, you're really only as good as your last gig, and um, that can all change tomorrow. So, I walk into that building every day with that in mind. Sure. Um, but when I'm when I get to represent my local and and be the just really the point of contact being the lead there, um, the way that rigging has evolved as far as the amount of drawings, overlays, engineering consultations, um, and overall pre-production that goes into um, the day of show is it's if you were to ask any of us 25 years ago, yeah, night and day. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. We used to, you I know, watch the, the evolution. Those cowboy riggers that I came up under used to just walk in cold and run and gun. That's exactly and right. And be hanging and banging. That's right. And now, if you haven't exchanged at least a half dozen emails over a three month period of time and had an engineer in the loop at some yeah. point, maybe a wet stamp in the whole nine. That's a rarity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the local you were talking about is 16. That right. is absolutely one yes. of the badass locals in the game. For sure. Um, can you tell us the difference? Because I know you've done a lot of international touring, a lot of touring, and the housework. What's the difference between a touring rigger and a house rigger? I love this. I love this question. And I love to, as my mother would say, uh, and I, I have to just stop and say, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad, uh, Annie and Dave. My family, I'm here because I'm uh, the fortunate baby child yeah. of an amazing family. Yeah, good um, man. Good for you. And everything I am, I owe to them. So. Um, but my mother says, live in the question. So I live in that question because I, I would say of the few things out there that, I, that are distinguishing characteristics for me, um, th there are a few riggers out there that have had as much of their time split between being a touring rigger and a local head rigger. Um, and as that guy, I really try and be the local head rigger that every touring head rigger wants when they show up. I got you. First thing in the morning. Sure. I sure. really do. That so, makes the dip, so to answer your question, um, I look at it as home team and away team, but without the competitive factor, we're, we're we are all working towards the same common goal. Mm -hmm. um, but we have two different scopes of of jurisdiction. Sure. I'm responsible for knowing that roof, its limitations, 
and its eccentricities, and that my crew and delegating the, the work to them. That's my scope of jurisdiction. The head, it's that head riggers show, and we are there to hang their show for them for sure. Uh, so they're responsible for their gear and their people. Um, and so the two of us together, I like to think, hang the show together. Yeah. That's, that's, so that would be the side from the chase side. Are you, is that, is what what is I want to make sure I'm hearing you right. Yes, sorry. So that would be the chase side. So when you're out, when you're in Sweden, yeah. uh, how does that change? So now as, as the touring rigger, when I come in as the touring rigger, my, all, my primary responsibility are to mark that show out yeah. um, and to supervise my head rigger and, and local riggers on how they hang my show to make sure that they hang the, the, the correct motor in the correct location, um, that we're not, and w in, this is where the, it starts to overlap and share, that we're not overloading any beams, yes. that we're not overspanning, um, that we're not uh, getting into any uh, rigging practices that are gonna compromise safety. Um, but at the end of the day, that's their roof and their crew, and it's my gear and my show and my artist. That's the touring side. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, makes perfect sense. That safety what? has to have a handshake though, huh? Well, okay. you know, Every time, I would think. Yeah, and it, it's for our industry has gotten much more regulated over the last 25 years. You bet. But I really believe that the effectiveness and the um, efficiency that that keeps us as safe as we are is still come. It still comes down to the personal component, those personal relationships, uh, that trust that you build and that interpersonal dynamic that you have. Uh, you can send emails and have engineers that you've never met in your life review, and that's all a very valid part of the equation, and it has to happen. But um, I don't know, I just think it's, it's still uh, the personal relationships and that trust that we operate on is uh, invaluable. Yeah, no, yeah. It, has, it has to be. Um, what kind of special training makes one qualified to be a top rigger? Ooh, um, well, there really are the two components. There's the mental and the physical, in my humble estimation, and there are more components than that. Um, there are a lot of books that can be read and should be read on the subject. Um, my algebra teacher, if, if he is watching right now, is laughing himself <laughs> and it's asleep because- uh, I told you you'd oh, use yeah, it. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you would have, oh, he, you know. So I, if you would have told me, you know, 25 years ago that I would need algebra, trigonometry, even some um, geometry. Uh, so the, there's, there, those math skills are definitely mandatory. Um, there's a lot of tech that can assist with that, uh, but the working principles of it. Um, and then there, there, there are books that just get into rigging techniques and, and uh, terminologies. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of book reading. Yes. Uh, a lot of physicality. And one thing I wanted to uh, stress is that I think folks out there might have the impression that uh, bigger is better when it comes to rigging. And I've seen some very small women do I, some amazing yeah, things. I would, I really <laughs> want Jesus, man. <laughs> They're like spider monkeys. That's <laughs> true. No, you got, I think your dirty little mind took that way wrong. He knew what I was talking yes. about. Yes, no, they, they fly around on the truss, man. It blows my mind. I would, I would absolutely encourage anyone who is interested in rigging and thinks that, I, I personally think the, the ideal rigger is about five foot six, 150 pounds, regardless of gender. Yeah. Uh, I really think that um, 
when you start getting taller than that and, and larger and heavier than that, you're just having to manage that size. Sure. Uh, strength to weight ratio is absolutely essential for sure. Well, I know you better. keep up on your, on your, your physical <laughs> regimen. <Yeah. laughs> Right now, my regimen consists of about a pint of Haagen-Dazs. <laughs> yeah, when we're gigging, yeah, it, yeah. that's something that I've really enjoyed as I've aged, because I didn't for into my 40s. It yeah. was really when, I, when I, I, my body just stopped being physically fit enough to rig the way I wanted to, to my happiness. Sure. My, and then I, I needed to go outside of and, and start to do what I saw other people do, doing on days off, going to these places called gyms. And yeah, yeah, those places. Yeah, 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 yeah. Putting yeah. the pizza down and yeah. So to answer your question, um, definitely a hybrid of, of physical uh, capabilities. Lean and limber, I think are the two sure. guiding principles. Um, strength to weight ratio is super helpful, uh, I find. Um, obviously all the, the, re the reading I had. And maybe the last point to, to address the issue, I think most people you know, fixate on is, is the working at heights element. Um, I've worked with riggers the whole spectrum um, as far as their comfort and ease at working at heights. They mm -hmm. all have to be um, at an X level of competency. But some I've worked with that are just phenomenally comfortable and fluid at heights. I put myself in the middle zone. Okay. Um, there's, a, there's a basic level of competency that you have to have. But um, I think that it's something just like anything else that you can literally work through and work on and become better and more comfortable at. That makes sense. With time. Yeah, but you're right. Well, I saw on the ground or looking up there going, sure. well, you guys are insane. Yeah. You know, that's, that's usually, I think it's like an eight to 10 ratio, eight to two, you know, maybe out of two of us that are like, I got this. This is, you don't even blink at it. But some of us are just, you know, we're, we're landlocked. <laughs> and, and that's okay too. That's, 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 just fine too. I think the, the I've seen a lot of folks. I don't want to say wash out, but that really had their heart and their mind set on it. Mm -hmm. Bought all the gear, you know, uh, changed their profile photo to show them in the harness the whole bit, and, yeah. and it's just not it's not for them. And they they can't get there's a certain level, not to get too into it, but you cannot have a, a career working at heights where you don't contemplate your own mortality at a certain sure, point. I bet. Uh, and just you have to find a place that you're comfortable with, uh, that you can rationalize to yourself every day that you wake up and go climb out and do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, you're doing everything in your human power and the statistics are infinitesimal uh, against the risk of a fall, but it is a reality. And sure. everyone's got to mentally find a way of compartmentalizing that risk. Um, yeah. To safely complete their tasks. Yeah. Still be aware of it. Yeah. And that's the weird thing. I just brought it up to a couple of my buddies that are in the, the iron workers union. And it's like they say it's like you get too comfortable. That's when the errors happen. It's like you always have to be aware of that morality kind of that's that standing you have. Mortality. Mortality. Yep. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's a mental state that uh, a especially a career rigger needs to find and then the trick is to stay in and and find a way of for me i had a really vivid experience years ago fortunately where i was going locally cow palace challenging place to rig and i really needed to be mentally focused on everything i was doing not for my own sake obviously but for everyone underneath me sure and i had had a really nasty you know blowout with the, the x and you, where you're leaving the house and the last thing they say to you is, 
something that you don't want to hear, you know? Yeah, sure. And that was just ringing in my brain the whole time I'm up there. Still got to work, still got to load in, still got to rig, still got to climb, still got to pull. And I just couldn't push it out and got through the day safely and everything and, and, and came home and I said to her, I said, I just, we need to find another way because I just can't do that again. Yeah, it was. It's not right for those people underneath me. And I know that's yeah. huge for you. I know that uh, that a uh, big part of your mindset is not just that you make it home alive and safe, but that everybody around you and the crews and the teams that you work with and the artists and the audience, <laughs> that everybody related to your work comes out of it right. I hate to admit it, but I really do care about all the people I work with. There's just nothing <laughs> wrong with that. And I think the key word there was compartmentalize, you know, yeah. for that little bit of that little yeah. nagging thing that's got to be in anybody when it comes to working at heights. you got to compartmentalize that. I would think that is probably the key to put it in the right space, understand it and move forward and, and be, you know, productive and efficient yeah. and safe. Um, you know, we, I, I want to move on to the rock and roll part. This is what the audience loves to hear. You know, it's the little clickbait of, of things, words like Metallica. I know that you uh, have worked with Metallica, a, a band that is known for putting up some of the biggest rigs and biggest shows in the world, those big Meyer rigs. And, and uh, but I know you're, and you, and you were, you're on that team and have done this many times. Um, but, but Metallica is actually kind of one of your formative rigor experiences. If, if I understand, they had early on in their career, they had, uh, it wasn't that early, but back in the day, yeah. they had this very trick set. Explain it. Explain yeah. it, how this kind of segued into you finally actually working with this band, but also got you into rigging. I love, I love, thank you for reminding me of this. Um, this is just one of the things that makes me, it's part of the paycheck for me, uh, one of these life experiences where... I grew up as a fan of the band, obviously, um, and I was working as a stagehand, but I wasn't aware of the rigging department. Um, uh, I was primarily lighting up until then. Um, and so I had friends earlier, or further along in their career that were out with Metallica. They were in town, went to visit them. It was the Injustice for All tour. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just so happened it was the Cult Sonic Temple album cycle opening yeah. for Metallica and Justice for All, right, right in my wheelhouse. Um, and I'm watching the show, and the, and the Metallica set ends with a, a, a truss on the upstage on two points uh, that has a pyro cue and a quick release, and that truss swings and smashes into the Lady Liberty set doors. I know all this now. I didn't know what had happened then. I yeah. just saw this thing swing and crash and explode. It appeared to be a failure when you oh, saw yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. but it, 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 a planned failure, but an, an excellently yeah, uh, executed, ex excellently executed planned failure. Right, right. And I just literally said, "I don't know what that job is, but I want to do that." <laughs> that and, was cool. And right? then you grew up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, flash forward years later, um, I'm on David Bowie, and uh, the rigger I'm working for at that time uh, is a gentleman named Bart Durbin, and uh, we are in the back lounge talking and getting to know each other and sharing stories and we get to that part of his career and I mm -hmm. really kind of laser it and focus in. I just realized that I'm now working for, I'm doing the job working for one of the guys that made me want to do this job. That's right. And I love that. That just makes it all, it all pay off for me and I, I feel really fortunate to have I feel like I have dozens and dozens and dozens of those real life experiences where I, I feel like a lot of days I get to work for and work with some of the coolest and most impressive people in this business. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. and obviously for the rigging, but 
audio, lighting, video, carpentry, scenic, automation, wardrobe, you name it, production management, stage management. Absolutely. Just well, the, the degrees of separation sometimes are really, it's one or two degrees sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's very slight, and before you know it, you're, you're working, like you said, with Bart and, yeah. uh, on Bowie. Yeah. And, I mean, come on, that, yeah. that's, that's some, I mean, I'm getting the hairs on my arms right now. <laughs> well, you know, if, I, if I can double down, if you'll indulge me, I want to I call out another rigger named uh, CB. Uh -huh. Steve Olin is his, is his birth name, but CB, mm -hmm. which I learned later on is his mom's nickname for him, Charlie Brown. Uh -huh. uh, no one knew what that was. <laughs> but so CB... Uh, when I was 12 years old, the first concert I saw that really opened my eyes to the fact that this could be a job that grown-ups did, that I could do as a career, was uh, speaking of which, Journey, a San Francisco band, on the Escape yes. album cycle. Nice. Uh, Famous tour. Born and raised in Cincinnati, uh, and so Riverfront Coliseum. And Brian Adams was the opener. And I just vividly remember two things. Uh, looking at that set... And all I saw was a, a, a tiny opening, which I learned later on is a bomb. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe how they got those big things and that big stage and those big trusses and big speakers and everything through that tiny hole. I didn't understand the concept that they came in and yeah, yeah. modular pieces and That's they all right. assembled right, together right, and they right, all rolled right. it out. <laughs> yeah, I was 12 it years was old. It was still magic to you. Right. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but during what I learned later on was set change, I saw grown-ups, grown men climbing up these what I learned later on were wire up ladders up to run a truss spot. That's right. And then they got in there and they ran their, and I just, I was just gobsmacked that that was a job that adults could do for a living. And, and at that age, I was bound and determined it was, to figure it's, out. What, it's like the, it's like the, uh, our equivalent of going to the circus. <laughs> you know, it is, there, there's a little bit of a going to the circus vibe to that. Going to the circus, but honestly for me, um, you know, I, I, like a lot of people we work with, um, I, I was the square peg that did not fit in the round hole uh, in, you know, the, the, the environment that I was, you know, coming up in the school system, the, the small community I was in, what have you. Sure. Uh, and it was no, no diss. It was just early on, it was clear that I needed to be somewhere else doing something else. Yeah. So there was friction in the early years, you know. Um, but experiences like seeing Journey yeah. and, and seeing those adults do that gave me hope that there was an alternate you know, because honestly, some of the, the options that were really kind of being pushed my way were maybe a 40-year career with Procter & Gamble with a gold watch at the end right. or some, you know, some other things that, no offense, those were not going to work out for me. Uh, that's that whole button-down <laughs> polyester plastic protect, pocket protector vibe that, you know, we really, right. you and, know. And, Look, man, Cubicle it, living. it takes those people to do what they do to make Absolutely. the world go round. Absolutely. No doubt about it. We can't have a world full of... of but I just feel extremely fortunate to get to do what we get to do for a living. And those, seeing those adults do that uh, really just... Kind of a little know, spark, a little bit of a... Yeah, yeah. man, it, it absolutely... I would kind of be up at night kind of scheming and dreaming. Yeah, yeah, good What's for that you. job? How good do I get you. that job? And, look at, and as a result, you've toured the world. You've been with some of the really amazing <laughs> people. You've seen and done a lot of fun. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, one of my favorite places, you know, I've, I've toured far and wide, but I really love the Warfield. I, I have, we have done so many shows, big acts, small acts. I just love that place. Yeah. And I know you are uh, regularly over there when it's operating, uh, doing rigging. Is there any special challenge, you know, be the age of the building, the design, mm -hmm. is there any special uh, rigging challenges that come with the Warfield? Any long the feeder runs or right. runs? <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's a thing ever there. No, but, <laughs> All but right. I bet you there's some stuff. Well, I, I have to say, so in, in, in 
uh, in full disclosure, I'm, I am actually, even though I've been working calls at the Warfield for 25 years, it was one of the very first venues. Warfield and Shoreline and Warfield were the first two venues sure. I did when I moved to the Bay Area in mm -hmm. 1995. Um, I was never a full-timer. I've only been a full-timer for the last year. Um, and uh, there, so there are people that know the the bowels of the Warfield way more intimately than I do. Yeah. But to answer your question, it's a really interesting rigging scenario there because it was uh, previously what we call a hemp house, mm -hmm. uh, which is if you've ever watched like uh, some of the older, I don't know, like Murder, She Wrote or, you know, um, you know kind of uh, TV episodics where the, the bad character um, is on a stage and a sandbag falls and, right, and hits them right, and knocks right. them out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of a, a derivative of, a, of how hemp house rigging um, used to take place. And so, um, so it was sandbags counterweighted one-to-one -to, -one to whatever was on the line set or the, the, the bar, or the fly bar. Um, it got uh, converted into a fly rail system, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a converted high, uh, fly rail system that is now. So it takes, uh, it's, it's interesting. It is very unique and it takes, it's, absolutely taught me it's expanded my theat especially my what i would call legitimate theatrical rigging experience which was was and still is by far i i consider to be my weak point between you know rock and roll rigging television and film rigging and gripping and and legit theater mm -hmm. not that i'm weak at it but i just i think i have so much respect for that discipline and that art uh that i would never um you know just kind of go there's nothing to it. All you have to do is just throw a brick on and pull the rope. Right, right. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot more to it than that. No, I'm sure of it. Yeah. I'm sure of it. It's a beautiful place. So it's got to be a great place to work. I know I've worked there many times. Um, I was wondering, what was the biggest, toughest rigging challenge you've had in your career? And one thing that came to my mind, not to, to Metallica had what, 140 points? Uh, what, the what? most recent one, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, the one I did was uh, maybe in the 90s. What, what do you, what's been the biggest challenge, biggest, most kind of complicated rigging scenario you've been in? Um, all right, so uh, one of the first 100 plus points, and I was not the head, I was one of four, uh, uh, partnered with three of the best touring riggers out there, CB, Steve Olin, Michael Gomez, and Russell Glenn. Some legends uh, right there. Absolutely, yeah. and, I, and I have to also acknowledge uh, Michael Gomez for being the rigger that uh, was my partner on, on David Bowie after Bart left and also inviting me on a Metallica. So mm -hmm. uh, Michael holds a very special place in my heart and anyone who knows him, former Greco-Roman Olympic wrestler. Yeah, he's uh, kind of formative yeah. mother. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, Delirium was the name of this tour, and it was Cirque du Soleil's first arena tour. It was 127 points. Uh, mm -hmm. It had 24 two-tons that ran the, the length of the arena floor from hockey net to hockey net. So it had a footprint that went well beyond any rigging footprint of any other show coming in. Yeah, that's massive. Yeah, and so the, the, uh, the challenge on that one, the weights, uh, and CB was the boss, um, and watching him you know, manage the weights on that show, which were significant, and it's a what we call a dynamically loaded show where it doesn't just fly up and sit. Then it gets loaded up with dozens of performers that raise and lower and track left to right. So we had load cells throughout the entire grid of that show. We had it on what we call a Crestron panel. So it was a large touchscreen panel that had a live load readout of wow. what weight all those motors were seeing. Um, and you would see that weight ebb and flow. Um, as the loads transferred, uh, we had to guide that whole structure off. So it was a 200 foot 
wide by, 200 foot long by 40 foot wide grid that once you get people on it, aerialists moving, it oscillates and the whole thing, if you don't have a guide off, will just start oscillating like that. Yeah. Well, in most American arenas, there's this big old honker right in the middle called a scoreboard. That's right. right. That's so right. This, this grid actually captured the scoreboard in all most of the arenas that we played. The scoreboard didn't retract high enough. So there was a, 50, a 40 by 40 hole in the middle of this grid. So we would build our grid, fly it up, and, and sometimes literally have you know, a credit card it. gap yeah, yeah, yeah. between the grid structure and the scoreboard. And uh, if you didn't know, they're really sensitive about their scoreboards. They're very, they're <laughs> they're very not expensive. They're not they don't cheap. like seeing That's your right. stuff get close That's to exactly it. That's exactly right. So Delirium was just an amazing, uh, amazing rigging experience. Uh, later on, Bart Durbin came and joined us on Delirium, and mm -hmm. then later on uh, Chuck Melton did too. Wow. And these are just that's the big that's the A team right there. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, Delirium for me um, it, and why I wanted to I wanted to um, tribute CB for the one lesson not of 100 that he taught me was you can a person can rig a show flawlessly if they hold themselves to that standard. And that was his MO. Uh, and he, his standard was set so high that I knew, because if you didn't, you got an ass doing yeah. like nobody's business. I bet. And that was okay. And I, I really actually appreciated that. And I think a lot of us actually appreciate having some discipline and structure Absolutely. and some accountability. When we thrive to, on it. Yeah, right? Yeah. As, as much as we like to play it like we want it fast and loose, you, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't rig that way, that's for sure. No. So um, I, that... Delirium tour will always be really uh, a landmark tour for me. Yeah, it sounds special. Um, I know you're, uh, you know, you're a loyal uh, brother in the union, but you also spend a lot of time as a freelancer. Yeah. So, what's the, what's the comparative differences between the lifestyle of a freelancer and a life as a brother in the union? And then don't just say benefits because we all know the benefits. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what, man. Uh, I, not to tip my own hat, but they couldn't be more different in certain sense. And yeah. it, you just have to be, you have to literally spin your hat 180. Yeah. Or at least I do. Uh, because you cannot expect, um, you know, a, a union person to come in with the same, necessarily the same mentality as a person on production's payroll. Yeah. And vice versa. Um, and what's been important for me is to hopefully remember what role, know my role, and remember what role I'm playing that day. Mm -hmm. um, and so, the the in my you know the way I was raised is that it is the touring production's responsibility to be the tip of the spear, the lead, to set the agenda, and to frame out the expectations, and to uh, appropriately motivate and energize and drive and direct the crew to act out that script. That's a, that's a critically important, I mean, critically important uh, role that you play in doing that. I think so. Yeah. Not, not uh, in, in personal importance, but the job is, is very, it's important that that be done correctly. For example, from the production side, I think it's critical and mandatory that you treat all of your local crew with the same respect and dignity and decency that you would expect in return. Sure. And I didn't come into it with that attitude. I learned that from watching others. Mm -hmm. um, Charlie Hernandez, for example, yeah. a production manager I worked for. Charlie's good. When promoters would try, especially out of country in Europe and whatnot, would try and only feed the, feed the touring crew, would say, absolutely not. 
If we're eating, they're eating. That's right. Make it happen. Yeah. Um, and just insisted on that's the way we do business. You know, we treat people with the same basic dig dignity and courtesy and, and respect that we expect in return. Um, conversely, as a local, it's important for me to understand that although I may, you know, um, finish this load out, get in my vehicle, drive away, and never see this show again, it's in my rearview mirror, these people are, especially in a touring application, are going to be doing the show 50 to 100 plus times, mm -hmm. um, and that it's important to understand why they need everything to be just right. Yeah. That, 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 uh, that's, that's what they're, they're here for. Well, I think that's uh, probably benefits you and uh, visiting, uh, you know, national tour, international tour, that you have both sides of that. So you can kind of, you know, be able to uh, empathize with the best <laughs> of the needs of the, the traveling crew instead of that. Because well, we have heard complaints from time to time that the, the locals can be a little... Uh, uh, I can't see it from my house, you know, you're, you're on to your thing. Right. And uh, not good for the not good for the loadout sometimes, not good. There's can be moments, but... Um, I, I, <coughs> Chicago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it can be a thing. So yeah, it's, it's always it, good it when you got a guy a and, the, and the local that has the experience of the road to kind of be able to symbiotically relate to, to the other side and uh, kind of do what's best for both. And so that's uh, it's a really great answer. Hey, uh, real quick, uh, Christine Costello chimed in and said, you make Ricking look good. And I'm actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really learning that's a lot about Christine. Ricking. Oh, I miss, I miss Christine Costello. That is really great to hear from her. <laughs> that's sweet. Isn't that sweet? Christine Costello is uh, one of the many uh, persons who uh, make an outfit like Local 16 and um, operate and, and be as um, amazing as it is yeah we've yeah. got in, there's a whole infrastructure of folks that you won't see out on a call but they handle everything um benefits um logistics as far as getting paid you know yeah and christine's part of that oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, team yeah, yeah thank you christine we we need that part of the, the game to be running per perfectly <laughs> it sounds like you're doing well thank you for checking in with us uh i know that you've um you know, your, your career has spanned so many bands, so I had to snatch out a couple of the bigger names that, that have history and that I kind of have some uh, experience with and know them to be... Uh, um, where you have to come correct. You yeah. have to bring the full A game. There is no slipping. And the one that noticed, I noticed on your resume was the Janet Jackson. Or, or let's just say the Jackson camp. Period. This, sure. is a, this is a family that's been doing this 50 years. They know their business. Yeah. They, they bring a team. And uh, let me ask you, how was it working with uh, Janet Jackson? All right, so that I'm glad you asked that because then I, I get to, uh, if you haven't noticed the theme, I'm going to name drop and call out as many you production people as I can. You feel Malcolm free. Weldon, um, one of the most amazing production managers out there that I've been fortunate to work for, um, and Porkchop, his stage manager, <coughs> um, and Excuse me. Whitney is LD, so many amazing, Roy Bennett, the designer, mm -hmm. uh, actually uh, Corey Fitzgerald. Um, so to answer your question, and um, this is where I'm going to I'm going to scroll down to one of my life's philosophies too, which is um, sometimes you're not the right guy for that gig. <laughs> yeah, and that was Janet Jackson for me. Uh, amazing camp, uh, you know the dance moves. She as an artist, yeah. uh, the professionalism, the choreography, um, 
all the production rehearsals that went on the whole bit. Yeah. Uh, but the truth of the matter, that was a tour where I was just personal chemistry wise. Mm -hmm. I was just not the right guy for that tour. Was, was it not the, the camp that was the chemistry problem? You know, I, the camp I, can be hard. The, the the folks associated with the Jackson group can it can be very demanding. You, you know, to put it lightly. I didn't have, and that's the, the great luxury of a rigger, say, for example, uh, the difference between me and a monitor engineer. Um, I can have, I can go, I went an entire six months of Aerosmith without ever having a band member call me by name or say hello, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I can, I can hide back and do that if, if that's the way it needs to be. Yeah. So to answer your question, I mean, I'm sure there might have been, you know, residual camp energy that, that um, came down. And I can't honestly put my finger on it. I wanted to work for Malcolm for he was my production manager on Delirium in mm -hmm. 2006, mm -hmm. and I wanted to work for him again He's whenever that opportunity came up. For sure. It was heartbreaking to not, and I didn't get fired. It's just when the, when the break happened, mm -hmm. they, he went back to his, his previous guy. His previous guy became available, and he went back to that guy. Gotcha. And that is, that happens. Yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah. But to answer your question, professionalism, uh, absolutely. Um, and you uh, can understand, you know, why Michael Jackson had more production value in one song than most shows do in 90 minutes. It's a, yeah. very well And that's well just said. their standard. That is yeah. how they roll. They, yeah. they roll deep and heavy, and they bring in the big-time security, big-time production, and it's always, uh, it's always quite an experience. Yeah. And if, if, if you can make the fit, it's, it's, it can be fun. But it, it's always demanding. I never left one of those shows without feeling... Uh, you know, like I left something on, on the, something behind on the stage for it, yeah, to yeah. get it done. Um, is it my imagination? I've been doing this off and on for 38 years or something, give or take. Is there higher incidence of injury in rigging work right, than so in the rest of the disciplines, lighting, or audio? Okay, so I'm, I'm going uh, purely, this is, uh, the, I have no stats to back this up. Yeah. And if anyone does, I'd love to see them. I think no. I think because of the connectivity of our worlds now, our lives now, uh, I, I've been j joking for a dozen years or more that if a shackle pin drops in Hong Kong, I will hear about it here before it hits the floor. We can have that level of connectivity. Um, That's very true. I, I, we, so in our, as far as uh, safety, you know, standards and training and governing bodies uh, in our industry, if folks aren't aware of, uh, we have uh, an, a body called uh, the ETCP, the Entertainment uh, Training and Certification Program, Entertainment Technicians uh, certification program, pardon me. Um, and there's an, a previous one named ESTA, and, and um, these are basically our OSHAs of the entertainment industry. And I have not been perf personally involved, but I've certainly been working side by side with um, Ed Raymond, Rocky Paulson, Anthony Phillips, Stefan Mayrand, four local 16 riggers that were part of the board putting this, out, this entity together and the, and the certification program together. So they saw the need for a governing body to address our safety concerns, because if we don't, someone else will. Sure. And we'd rather handle it, From the have a part of the conversation on how to handle these concerns. Mm -hmm. um, I personally think that our safety st standards and our, our record and our culture um, is significantly stronger than a lot of the traditional trades that are out there. Mm -hmm. A big part of that is because of the sheer volume. They're just, we're a much smaller industry and we're much more homogenized. Yeah. Um, this is, we're not nearly as transient. You know, people, 
a person might go and be a carpenter, a plumber, or electrician for a few years and then go on to another career. But a lot of people, once they come into this, this line of work, they make it a lifelong career. So to answer your question, uh, I do not think that things are any more or less dangerous per, you have to look at the per capita. The business has grown tenfold in our, in our career spans. Oh, yeah. um, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, on maybe Mumford and Sons, I had a medium sized show but I was in between Justin Bieber and uh, maybe uh, Imagine Dragons as far as touring cycles. So every city I was going to, those two acts would either be there the same day, the day before, the day after. Yeah. And I'm putting in a rigging call for 16 over 8, 24 riggers. Justin Bieber's putting in a rigging call for 48 over 12. And yeah. Imagine Dragons, you know, 24 over 12, whatever the case may be. So you're, you're asking a local to provide 116 fully trained and qualified riggers on one day to facilitate the needs of these three shows. Yeah. That's very challenging. A lot of markets. Oh, boy. Yeah, you get outside of L.A., New York, and San Francisco, and that's, that's that, a real challenge. Yeah, to pull that kind of, the, that kind of qualified employees together. So yeah. what, for me, uh, the way I look at it is that, unfortunately, incidents do happen, we are human beings, but if yeah. you look at the amount of chain motors, a, a perfect example, within the first four months of Chase Center, we hung 2,500 points. We hung without incident. Yeah. Amazing. Zero. Yeah. Um, and so. Who's uh, your top guy there? Is that uh, Morgan Pittman? Who, who's the running the show? Is the production director. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. well, that's a great, great record. Yeah. Yeah. And going forward, uh, or uh, to date, you guys have a clean record there? 100 percent yeah 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 this yeah. is why i don't do rigging i'm still waiting on the load bearing tie line <laughs> <laughs> still Dude, the rope gone yeah the rope gone yeah but i mean the, the load zero bearing gravity tie boots. line would Absolutely. be key in my workflow <laughs> <laughs> well i mean he's not wrong in the last however many years the 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 workflow has changed dramatically with lead walls and Lighting out, removing lights, and and flying, you know, uh, line array. Yeah, it's, it, it's just night and day different from the old days of boxing lights and, you know, it's, uh, it, stacked on the on stage, uh, you know, uh, PA. I, I love it. Any Bay Area locals, the next time you're in Cal Palace, yeah. uh, just take a walk around um, the the oval at the, the mezzanine level and mm -hmm. look at the photos of, you know, uh, Rolling Stones in 1972. That's Rod right. It's the who's who. 16 points. Yeah. <laughs> 18 points, 22 points. And those were the biggest shows out there. That's correct. 100,000-pound uh, shows are, if not average, they're just slightly above average as far as like, the weight of shows out there. That used to be the exception. They're becoming the rule. So overall, the size and the, the amount of points, the weight, uh, and the, the amount of automation in your average touring show these days is just... It's night and day different. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you went out with Marin 5. They put on Big Show. That's one of our clients. Um, we send out a lot of gear with those guys. We also imagine Dragons. We send out a big, big, big rig for them. And they, God, they just stayed out for like two years. It was crazy. Great tour. Um, any special challenges working with the Marin 5? I'm Rigging glad you up? asked. Uh, Jim Ebden uh, is a front of house engineer that um, sticks out for me. He preferred his mains to be the most, the closest together, the most furthest on stage of mm -hmm. any front of house engineer that I, I've hung PA for. Um, 
And I, so to pull back just a little bit, the rigging discipline is removed from the creative satisfaction of mixing sound, mixing lights, video directing, shooting camera, what have you. It's a very left-brained um, part of the big picture. Sure. Uh, so for me, I'm a right-brained guy, yeah. and I prefer to have some creative uh, satisfaction and experience. So I really enjoy finding out what an engineer like Greg Price or Jim Ebden's mm -hmm. needs are, mm -hmm. um, and as much as I can, rigging-wise, prioritizing that. So for Jim, furthest on stage, so I've got some memories of uh, putting his PA on stage, places it had not been put on before, and just really threading the needle. Yeah. When, and when yeah. you're threading the needle with like 6,000 pounds of PA, uh, yeah, that's, and, that's and the riggers are going, it's structurally everything's fine. We've just never had anyone ask to put it here, and 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 you know to get the thank you at the end. Um, the other Maroon Five rigging positive, uh, you know, many positive memories. But we, on one of the last tours I did for them, had a had a bridge that flew over the the audience from the main stage to the B stage, mm -hmm. um, and no one was doing something that that came that close, it got about nine feet above the crowd. And, and there wasn't a gag quite like that at, at that time out there. So being a part of something that was kind of, you know, not ahead of its time or cutting edge, but you know, on the lead was very cool. Um, I did have, on the other end of the spectrum, I had a really kind of formative rigging experience with Maroon 5 and Kelly Clarkson at the Gorge. Mm, the if Gorge. anyone knows, yeah. If anyone knows the Gorge, uh, it's an amazingly beautiful venue. Yeah. Um, in uh, Vancouver, Washington. It's, uh, I think that's one of those bucket list places for people that haven't been there. Gorge, yet. Red Rocks. Red Rocks, yeah. Yeah, yeah you gotta uh, go to the Gorge. <laughs> gotta get that off of the list. Right. Um, it, so the Gorge is uh, set in a canyon with very few trees around uh, to, re to buffer and resist wind and a really uh, dynamic weather curve of hot day and cool night. Mm -hmm. So you learn as a rigger to be uh, quite a bit of a weather person as well. Sure. Um, and uh, the the thing for the gorge is always on your radar is wind. Anyway, they had redone their roof, had a 40 mile per hour wind uh, limit, a hard limit, uh, which is actually significant, 40 mile per hour wind. The structure is capable of, of sustaining 70 mile per hour wind sustained. So we had the weather system out there, we're watching all day long. And it was like, it was one of the most uh, frustrating experiences as a rigger um, because we had a, a person in the mix, and it wasn't the production manager, but it was a, a person of management um, that was resistant to um, reducing the rig, safety things off, minimizing, uh, you know, making augmentations to what was going on out of concern for these winds. And every rigger in their career has to make a choice at some point whether they're going to stay on that, that job, that rigger, that day, and do something that they believe compromises safety. It's gotta be a or if they're moment. gonna, or gonna pack walk it up and walk it, away, or from just it. say no and drop yeah. it on the deck. Yeah, yeah. And we were at that point. Wow. And we we were at that point, and we we spent the day in that point, and we did a lot of things to modify. Um, and it was a turning point for me. You know, it it was the last time I ever uh, eight years, and I I I ended my relationship because. I had to make a choice of whether 
I've, I wanted to stay in a structure where I was going to be uh, given this responsibility, but only this amount of discretion to act on it. Can't, that can't work. Yeah. 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 That's a hard lesson to learn, but uh, probably good for you overall to, to know that. Bittersweet. Yeah. Bittersweet, yeah. but, but yeah. important, I would think. And no one got hurt, and we're here talking today. Do you ever miss the touring, the, the traveling that goes? I love the travel Absolutely. part. Yeah. So the the nomad in us kind of stays, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the first real inter proper international tour I did was with the David Bowie tour in 1995-96 with uh, Charlie Hernandez, Doug Wiest, Bart Durbin. Mm -hmm. um, and we were doing four to five countries a week. And this is pre-Euro. And uh, there was also, you know, uh, English was not as prevalent. Yeah. So learning keywords in the native tongue, doing currency exchange, different laws, you name it. So every, every border crossing was a, oh, a lot pain, more of a real deal. Pain in the butt. And, and we were doing load and show, load out, tarmac crossload, load and show, load out, tarmac crossload, and chasing the, tr the plane yeah. or the bus and the trucks and meeting at the next city. And uh, some of the guys I, I was touring with on that, uh, they were what we called the ugly Americans. You know, on every day off, you know, the loud be in, ones. You'd be in France, ones. you'd be in, yeah. in Rome, you'd be in Berlin, and they're, where's the McDonald's? Where's the Coca Cola? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and I just right away made it. I mean, that wasn't me anyway, but I absolutely just made a decision that that was not, you know, that's yeah, no, no, just that's just not me, and that's not why I'm in this, you know. And I so to answer your question, um, I think I will always miss the traveling. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, but there's some there's a couple sides to it that you also probably don't miss. Yeah, yes, I understand that very well. I want to get into something we mentioned at the, the start of the show, but something that I find very special that you and uh, John Del Rio, George Edwards, my brother, and a few others. Uh, I think you got Shauna Hall in there as a moderator. Yep. She's lovely. Mm -hmm. She was in yesterday just uh, doing training until like 10:30 last night. She's such a dedicated worker. Mm -hmm. But you guys made this. You saw a need. You know, I, I, I tool around on Facebook and I try to do what I do, but you saw, you guys saw an and I was getting a hint of it, where some of our, the brothers in our scene, the brothers and sisters in our scene, were struggling with some of the, the mental heaviness of this recent reality. And so you went out and opened up a page for the brothers and sisters, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Loving Hands for Stage Hands on Facebook? Yes. This is a private group? It is a private group. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about it. What's the mission? What is the, what's going on there? All right. Uh, so Loving Hands for Stagehands is the goal is to create a safe space for entertainment technicians uh, to discuss the subject of and receive feedback, uh, support, solutions mm -hmm. of uh, health, mental health, physical health, emotional health, financial health, spiritual health. Um, and in the most... Um, uh, not, I say, uh, rare terms, if necessary, to speak about the subject of suicide. And uh, this came about because John and myself, for sure, mm -hmm. our connection on it was we literally uh, got tired of seeing each other at funerals for brothers and sisters who had slipped into the darkness. Yeah, um, it's and, a real thing. And being solution-oriented people, action-oriented people, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, said, okay, talks, talks, I'm done talking about this, what can we do? 
And ironically, we've you know, created a page where we do a lot of talking about it. But hopefully, there's a lot of physical uh, and uh, tangible actions that are being laid out there for people to do as well. Um, so. I, I've, wanted, I've monitored the page right from the beginning. First of all, the growth of it was, has been exponential. It's, it's really taken off. It clearly was a needed thing. Just look at the size of it now. And I've watched uh, some of the interactions. And it really seems like you guys are doing good works there. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really a positive thing. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm sure John and George uh, Gordon and Doug Taylor, who are also uh, fellow founders and all the moderators as well. It's a group effort for sure. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I, I feel like we maybe can get credited for uh, starting a framework sure. and laying out expectations and then just opening the gates. And people have, I, I love some of the posts that I see on there um, because they're constructive actions I can take right then and there to factually change my mind and mood about what's going on. Um, and they, it's been an interesting uh, experience for me to see that there are certain things that I wouldn't think were previously connected. Yeah. My mom, mom, if you're listening, um, <laughs> would tell me as I was growing up, get up, move around, get outside, you'll That's feel right. better. That's right. Now, of course, I, I grew up in the, in the suburbs with uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and, a, and a, a cable box with 60 channels, including MTV on channel 43. Yeah. And it's muggy and sweaty outside. There's no way I want to get up and go outside and play yeah. and move around. What I understand. You. So now, <laughs> as an adult, uh, someone, I, I find myself you know, having to, I was talking with mom just on the, on the way here today about what she's doing right now physically to cope you know and now that you brought this up i i, uh, I have to credit my aunt mary who who brought in a term uh to my lexicon this week called maladjustment mm -hmm. and so uh in this time that we're in uh obviously we're all um coping we're navigating and we're uh most of us succeeding at that yeah. but one thing i'm on the lookout for is is to maladjust and so what that means is to um do something unhealthy to accommodate for, uh, you know, a negative uh, fact, you know, negative uh, scenario that's going on. For example, when we were um, experiencing all the wildfire smoke. Yes. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but instead of being able to get up and run or jog or, you know, do a lot of outdoor mm -hmm. huffing and puffing, that wasn't an option. So I, I never, uh, personally, days. I never noticed right. the problem. <laughs> Well, the trick is to not maladjust my <laughs> so aunt. You, stayed, yeah, you ended yeah. up staying in. <laughs> never, yeah. never really sensed any real issues with smoke in the air, but yeah. no, I know what you mean. Yeah. And a lot of people were struggling with that. It's, yeah. It's been, a, it's been a wacky couple of weeks in California, huh? It has. Well, I guess West Coast, really. Yeah. And if you yeah. think about we're it. We're sharing the love with the rest of the world, that's for sure. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And, uh, and, and, the West Coast of America is a strong place, and we will survive, and we will uh, find our way, and we'll come together and be for, there for each other, and I, I think we're going to be fine. Um, I, I got one last thing for you. I, I wanted to know if there's some advice that you'd have for people watching this, young people, any people coming up that, that share the same kind of um, desire to go up in the, up in the rafters and, and tool around and, and play with big boys. Right. Is there, is there some specific kind of advice you could give to future riggers? Oh, boy. Um, uh, mm. Yes. Okay. So this is an absolutely amazing career and 
avocation and livelihood, no matter how you apply it, whether you um, fall in line with your local community theater, your gospel church, um, if you come out and you know do pyro on Rammstein, if you uh, fall in with your local IATSE and uh, do, end up doing primarily television and film, this is a much more dynamic career than I ever thought it would be, and the, the different ways that it can be expressed and whatnot. Um, but it still uh, relies on the same principles that make anything, you know, successful. Um, rig with dignity, rig with honesty. Yes. Um, Rocky Paulson and, this, and the stage rigging family taught me the seven Ps, uh, the proper prior planning, preventing piss poor performance. That's right. Um, <laughs> Seven P's, baby. Yeah. I, I remind that a little um, different, but <laughs> awesome. my advice Filthy. would be: the hardest thing in life, I think, is to figure out what it is that you want to do. Once you've got that figured out, it's all easy. That's true. You just do that thing as passionately as possible. That's right. And it pays what it pays, and it takes you where it takes you. And and the the surroundings and the accoutrements are going to be what they are. But uh, some very wise person said a long time ago that uh, if you do what you love for a living, you'll never work a day in your life. Uh, that's where the grace comes from, yeah. right there. That's the grace, the sweet spot. My brother, it's been a pleasure having yeah. you here. Thank I can talk to you all damn night. We've got so many places <laughs> to yeah, go. Thanks for sharing. Carry on. But thank, thank you, you so much for yeah. coming out. We yeah. really appreciate you sharing awesome. with our audience your very special skills. I can't say enough, uh, you know, your name in the business stands tall. People, when they know when they uh, come to your show. Uh, Greg Price speaks to this quite a bit. He's a big fan, as you know. <laughs> Gregory loves you and uh, swears by you as the guy they have when he's doing Ozzy or he's doing his big stuff. He, he, you know, you're the, you're the guy he wants Man, flying that's heavy. shit. Yeah, well, he's a big dog, and yeah. he says in his world, uh, you're the big dog. So that's a, that's quite a compliment. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. I want to send a special shout-out to um, a guy that I, I can't say this enough. Now, we, we've got friends of the show. We've got Noah the Beard Tanner and Lance Longley and Pat O'Doul and Patrick O'Rourke and uh, Jimmy Toth, good friends of the show. Well, we got this guy. <laughs> i got to tell you. Charlie's a Ricky. This is a guy. He's over in Michigan. He's, he's dealing with some stuff. He's, he does it with grace and wisdom and character. He's, he's truly a, 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 a minch among minches. This week, he sent us a box... We sent out some boxes. We do that with our swag and some pins and little trinkets. But he sent us a box with all these goodies and treats. And uh, you saw that thing. I mean, I ate half of a bag as soon as you <laughs> opened it. I was like, this, this is fucking great. Wonderful beef jerky and nuts and treats. And it's just such a good friend to the show and a, and a great person. We love you, Charlie. And we hope that things are going well for you. We've got some swag that we've ordered up, shirts and the like, uh, that we'll be sending out to you. Check your mail soon for a, a small box of uh, hats and different things and pins. And, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. What? We have to allow the audience to know how offended you were that you didn't send a bigger box to this gentleman. Uh, wait, like, it was like... Oh, wow. It wasn't offended. It was like, God damn it, Charlie's winning this race. <laughs> you won your bag up I, like tenfold. Little, you know, and that was, it was nuts. It was, I opened it up and it just kept having layers. And I was like, damn it, Charlie. You're, you're making me look bad here, brother. So, but thank you, Charlie. You're, 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 you're a brother and we love you, man. And we hope you're feeling well and that things are going good. Please uh, shout out to the wife and, and uh, the family. 
And uh, what comments did we come in? I noticed. Uh, I Charlie chimed in. He was late, but uh, he, you know, better time than ever to to chime in and show your face for a second. All right. Uh, we got Abram saying as uh, Zen Rigger powers nice flip flops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pat O'Doul, he chimed in again. Uh, he said uh, he was a little bit late, but uh, he's going to bring donuts next time. So oh, we're, he's, we're he's better late than never, Pat. Good job. Uh, well, Snoopy of course chimed in. Snoop, dude, we we're going to come check out your boat and I'll hang on on your boat one day. Yeah, the decibel. Yes. Yeah. That's right. right. We you love see it beach-sided now. It's not <laughs> even in the water. William Parkway, you're the captain. We love you, Captain. Thank John you. Del Rio, too. Uh, John Del Rio chimed in, said hello. Great show. Johnny Dell. We got uh, uh, Sue Kearney as well. She mentioned, uh, love listening to you to expo uh, expound on the amazing world we live in. Sue, you are so welcome. We love you, dear. I believe we have a meeting with you on Saturday, coming in with Brett Lang. We'll see you then. Yeah, Estella Lerma said uh, thank you. And uh, Lexi Lopez, once again, right on Bob Powers. Right on. He's, a, he's been a great guest for us. We hope you guys enjoyed him. Uh, you know, I couldn't do it without my 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 wonderful crew. I got Mike Brown over here. Just he's the octopus. We always say that. But if you were standing back over in Video Village, and which happens to also be Audio Village and <laughs> RF Village, it's uh, it's crazy what he's able to do as one man. And we couldn't do it without him. Thank you very much, Mr. Brown. You you're a special cat, and we dig you, baby. Thanks, and, Mikey. Yeah, Mikey rules. And of course, my good good friend Kyle Thomas. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I got, oh my I got God! Lung butter. Weekend, huh? It's a lung butter. Hey, with the descriptive narrative, come on. It's the it. it's the fires. You know, <laughs> we're all feeling it's it. It's the, the smoke from the fire that's got me. <laughs> that's the culprit. <laughs> um, um, but no, thank you, really. I appreciate all the work you've been doing, uh, transferring the stuff over. We're doing that podcast like we talked about. Plus, you control the um, Instagram. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. I just don't feel that. So. Thank you for handling all that business. You're great. I really appreciate it. I couldn't do it without uh, the people here at Sound Image. My, my dear brother, George Edwards, is our general manager of Sound Image Productions. Thank you, big brother, for uh, letting us have the space. And of course, our dear, dear leader, the great man himself, uh, Dave Shadone from Sound Image Southern California. Thank you, David. We really appreciate it. Thanks, we Dave. get a lot of help from uh, our, our good, good friends. I mean, the, the, I love these people over at Large Screen Video. If you need lead wall, if you need video services, big services, little services, any size services, LSV, Large Screen Video, John, uh, check out Cameron Brown. We're still celebrating the memory of John Rigney. We miss you, Butter. Um, uh, you're off doing a big light show, a big, uh, big lead wall up in heaven right now. And of course, the good, good people over at Slow Fiber. They uh, provide us with our masks. They make custom masks for us that, <coughs> excuse me, that allow us to do the show and allow our people to work at our different shops and feel safe about it. Uh, so thank you, Slow Fiber. If you need those services, please reach out to them. Um, and in general, uh, we we appreciate you guys as the audience. We really, we do it for you. We honestly do do this for you. There's a little bit of self-serving nature. We get to play with our gear and hang out with our friends, but we do it for you. We hope you enjoy the show. Next week, we have a really special treat for you. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> 
I gotta quit smoking, man. <laughs> More <laughs> lung butter. <laughs> um, we got Deanne coming on next week. Uh, help me with the last name. How am I? I'm, I'm totally happy. Deanne Franklin. Franklin. Deanne Franklin. She works. She's done Pink. She's done uh, Tom Waits. She, this woman's got a uh, uh, as a mix in, as an A1. Uh, she has mixed some of the coolest bands ever. The long-term warrior in this game. We can't wait to have her. I apologize for messing up her name. I smoked too much marijuana <laughs> today. That's my bad. Um, and I'll try to do better next week. We're on every week at 7 p.m. Thursday nights. Come back, check us out next week. Until then, be good, be well, take care of each other. Good night. Good night, guys. <laughs>